Welcome to podcasts recorded live at the Center for Spiritual Living in Portland, Oregon. Listen past the end of the podcast to find out more about our spiritual center and ways that you may collaborate with us. Welcome, everyone. Happy Sunday. I'm glad you're here. We're starting a new book. The title of the book we're using this month is The Ten Things to Do When Your Life Falls Apart. And I, and honestly, I'm not, this isn't part of my plan. I mean, you're not, you don't have to have your life fall apart. The reason I love it, it's, oh, it's by Daphne Rose Kigman, too, one of, one of my favorite authors. So I, I think you're going to enjoy her words. And, and the idea is, preparedness. It isn't necessarily that your life needs to fall apart. This particular book talks about our ability to process our emotions, our ability to deal with things that happen to us uh, in kind of a unique way. And so I I think we will actually enjoy it. I'll, I'll read just a little bit from the introduction to give you an idea of, of, uh, of her ideas. It seems today that our problems are coming so close, hitting us so hard, that it's difficult to project them outwards anymore. They're in our households, they're under our roofs, they're in our checkbooks and in our hearts. We have no choice but to simply deal with them. And our traditional methods of problem solving have tended to be around regaining control. Our first impulse is to look over our shoulders and do more of what we did before. And when these techniques don't seem to work, we get panicky. When life falls apart, we have to learn a new way. It's not about control. The call is to deal with our challenges in ways that are fresh, authentic, and deep. Ways that touch at the core of ourselves. We need to create not just another bailout, not just another band-aid, but a true sense of meaning for ourselves. And that's what this book is about. So we're gonna learn 10 different techniques, if you will, 10 different plans for coping with some of the things that are going on in the world right now or in your personal lives that are not to our liking. And I think in particular, the timing is good today because if the newspaper media is correct, at least half of us feel that our world is going to go to heck in a handbasket next Tuesday. So, uh, <laughs> and, and seemingly it doesn't matter like what side you're on, right? Uh, so, uh, so let's take a look at this. The number one thing that we're gonna learn today, I will illustrate with a joke. So one day shortly after the birth of their new baby, mom had to go out and do some errands. So the proud dad stayed home to watch his wonderful new son. Soon after mom left, the baby started to cry. The father did everything he could think of, bottles, you name it, but the baby would not stop crying. Finally, the dad got so worried, he decided to take the infant to urgent care. The doctor listened to all the father had done while he examined the baby's ears, chest, and so forth. Finally, he thought and undid the diaper, and there was, as they say, the issue. Here's the problem, the doctor said. He just needs to be changed. Well, the father is very perplexed. I read the directions very carefully, and I tell you, that diaper is rated for up to 10 pounds. (laughs) It could happen. (laughs) It could happen. Us us guys are kind of clueless sometimes, really. (laughs) 
So, so you might say, now how does that story fit in with the 10 things to do when your life has gone to, uh, to uh, hell in a handbasket, as they say? It's to cry your heart out. So often when we experience a loss, so often when things truly have gone wrong, what do we do? We try to ignore what's going on in our hearts, that sense of loss, that sense of pain, and we plunge into some coping mechanism. We, we decide, no, what I need to do is work harder. What I need to do is, uh, is somehow plow, plow through this as though the thought of tears, as though the thought of anger, as though the thought of that emotional body just is too much to deal with. Or maybe, maybe we've been trained that such emotions just aren't really to be experienced, that that's what children do. And as an adult, we're supposed to figure it out. We're supposed to suck it up and move forward forward through whatever loss or tragedy has come our way. Well, I got to tell you, all the modern scientific studies have shown that, believe it or not, the best coping mechanism is to have a good cry, is to actually express our emotions as they come up, not to bottle them up, not to try to hide them, but rather to effectively express them. Now you might say to yourself, well, okay, and what, what does that look like? And I'll, I'll give you a couple ideas. One, one I, I had to recall when I was preparing my talk, um, many of you know I used to do teenage foster care. It was uh, like a respite and emergency care for, for teenagers. And uh, I still remember the one young man that came to me, his parents had been put in jail over drug-related drug charges. And, uh, and gra he was going to go live with grandma, but grandma was undergoing surgery. And so for a few months time. Um, he was at my house until grandma was ready to take him in and um, the Boys and Girls Aid Society that I worked with, they provided a school and everything for him. He was new to the area and so each morning on my way to work I would drop him off at school and then pick him up on my way home and I remember one day I went to pick him up and he was purple with anger. I mean I have never seen such an angry young man in my life. And he was like slamming his book bag around and kind of punching at the side of the car. And uh, oh my word, I've never, I was actually, well he was a big kid and I was actually a little worried you know, that he would lash out in some way. And so on the way home, I'm trying to calm him down a little bit, and I finally say, well, what happened? Did something happen? And he said, well, so, well and he used words that I won't use, uh, it being church and Sunday and all, but basically someone had stolen his backpack. And at first I was kind of like, well, we can get you a new backpack. I mean... What was in it? And he said, well, my, some of my school books and my favorite jacket. And so I'm beginning to think a little more, well, okay, a favorite jacket. You know, there are some things that are difficult to replace. But still, I couldn't really think that the loss of his backpack would produce this much emotion. And so when we get home, I'm pressing him a little more as, as we're making dinner together. And he was a helpful, a nice young man. I could still see pent up rage in him. And so I began asking him really, well, what this was about. Could we talk about this some more? And he said, well, what you don't understand is my whole life has been stolen from me. My parents have been stolen me 
from crack cocaine. My grandmother has been stolen to me to the open heart surgery she's going to. My hometown has been stolen from me and I've been put in this big metropolis where I don't know my way around. My friends have been stolen from me. This is supposed to be my senior year where I'm supposed to get to enjoy my last year of high school and that's been stolen to me. I'm stuck in this stupid alternative school. Well, again, he used even stronger (laughs) words than that. He was having a bad day. And what came to me was, of course, It wasn't the backpack, right? How often have we known someone that has reacted really strongly to something that may have seen like a simple thing that went wrong? What that represents is countless times of suppressed sadness or anger. And I bet all of us have even experienced that before where we're watching some silly movie on TV and we find ourselves in tears or uh, we discover someone cuts us off in the freeway and we want to chase after them with our car like a, a, a crazy person. It's because we have not done a very good job of actually processing our emotions We have behaved in a way that we imagine adults behave by just, well, this terrible thing happened and I'm just going to suck it up and move on. The trouble is, when we suck it up enough, when we have suppressed enough of our emotional body, it starts sliding out. Modern psychology have said that we really can't, in fact, suppress emotions. We can temporarily bypass them but they are to be processed. Sooner or later, we will be processing them. And so, uh, so, so my teenager, that was his day. Suddenly, 10 years of trouble with parents and school and, and you name it were coming to an head. And so luckily, I had the presence of mind. We went upstairs to the spare bedroom that I had. We got a couple tennis rackets out and we whaled away at that mattress together. And it was interesting because I didn't even have to explain the rules or anything. As soon as he saw me whap it a few times, he started calling out even the names of the people who had done things to him, had created a loss in his life. And after about 20 minutes, the anger had turned into tears. And he was bawling. He was crying his heart out because that is what was called for. Now, I hope none of us have to go through what he went through. I hope that none of us find ourselves in circumstances where literally our lives have been taken from us. But what I do know, all of us don't get through this life without some trouble. None of us, I don't think, uh, and, and you know, see me afterwards if someone has the, the miracle cure for life's trouble. But, but my experience anyway is that we all go through tough times. And when we do, the more we can process those strong emotions in the moment in a healthy way, whether it's crying, whether it's releasing anger through exercise. Oh, one of the things I used to do when I was in college, um, I, uh, well, I might have had anger issues, let's just say it that way. And what I used to do when I would really get riled up, I would get in my beat up VW micro van, I would drive out to the reservoir and I would scream. 
It was like primal scream therapy. I didn't even know that there was such a thing, but it worked for me. It would help. I would come back and I'd hardly be able to talk, but there was something about that feeling of just exhaustion, of releasing that anger through a good screaming fit that I actually felt great when I would get back. So what I know is there's a technique for you for healthfully, healthfully actually working out your strong emotions, not bottling them in, not letting them come out sideways later on, but actually processing them. And so I would invite you, whether it's uh, working with a therapist, whether it's working with one of our licensed practitioners, whether it's doing additional reading and discovering on your own, let us all have healthy ways for processing through some of life's troubles that affect our emotional body. We don't have to wait until it flows out sideways and you know burps all over someone we love. We don't have to wait until we have uh, unreasonable outbursts. We can take care of it as it comes. The second thing, the second of the 10 things to do when your life falls apart is to face your defaults. And when I first read this chapter, I read it as face your faults. And I was like, oh, great. That's what I want to take a good look at today is all of my many faults. Thank you, Rose Kingma. But turns out, (laughs) that's just a little Freudian slip of my own. What she's really saying is to question our defaults. Most of us have, by the time we've reached adulthood, some very specific coping mechanisms that we think will help us get through the hard times. Let me give you some examples. Guess what the number one coping mechanism in America is? Substance abuse. We numb ourselves, whether it's overeating, whether it's over drinking, whether it's a little too much marijuana, whether it's you name it, right? There are as many 12-step groups, uh, different ones, <laughs> as there are varieties of this coping mechanism. But the number one thing that Americans do is we try to numb the pain rather than feel the pain with some kind of habitual behavior involving some kind of substance. Guess what number two is? Have you ever had one of those days when you just wanted to pull the blanket up over your head and say, that's enough. I'm not going out of the house until this blows over. Withdrawing is the number two coping mechanism that we have on the planet. It's to withdraw. It's like if these people are going to be mean to me, I'll just cut them out of my life. If this job is going to be terrible, I'm going to use all my sick leave. I'm going to withdraw until this blows over, until people wise up, until I'm not sure exactly what the until is, but in essence, yeah, I'm just going to pull the blanket over my head. Guess what the number three mechanism is? I'm going to work. 
I'm going to engage in some activity that will take my mind off of this. I'm going to sign up for an extra shift at the 7-Eleven. I'm going to go volunteer extra hours at the church. Now, now keep in mind, it's okay if you put in extra hours at the church. That's okay. But, uh, but honestly, people, have you ever heard someone say, well, what really got me through that breakup was going to work every day? Well, the trouble is, it isn't really getting them through that breakup. It's just postponing the feelings until later. It, too, is one of those coping mechanisms that in the end really doesn't work all that way. We're going to feel those feelings. We're going to have that sense of loss. We're going to feel the angry feelings. We're going to need to do what we need to do on that emotional body for ourselves, and there's no escaping it. So when we use one of these coping mechanisms, when we fall into that uh, default behavior of, of getting the ice cream carton out, of, of going golfing and leaving everybody behind, of just ignoring everything and withdrawing. When we follow those, and there's a, in the book she lists another five or six different common coping, coping techniques. When we use those defaults, we think it's helping, and it's once again just postponing the inevitable. So, I would like you to think of a time when maybe you were feeling like the baby in the diaper. When you were being asked to take on way too much than what was possible. That really is a bad metaphor, isn't it? All right. I pro- we'll stop with that. We'll stop with that. Think of a time, though, when really you felt that life had given you way more than you could handle Your life was basically falling apart. Think about how you coped with it at that time. Most of us, most of us would have fallen back on one of these coping behaviors that ultimately would not have been that successful for us. It would have just delayed feeling the anger or delay feeling the upset. So the first part of it is to recognize what you do when you have one of those situations. Now, if it's actually processing your emotions, that is wonderful. If you, if you have a, a couple really good cries over it and move on, yay team. But if it causes you to fall into one of these behaviors where a month or two goes by, you're still just as angry, still just as sad, and now you're 20 pounds heavier, or you know, now they're deli- you know, the liquor store is making deliveries, Um, right? So what is your coping mechanism? What is your default strategy for dealing with trouble? I'd like to change that. I'd like for you to recognize that when it's happening, oh my gosh, here I am again. This looks familiar. It looks like I'm coping in this way that I usually do. Sometimes that will be enough. Sometimes just recognizing the pattern, seeing that you've been in this exact same place before, knowing that ultimately it did not help, sometimes that alone will be enough. If not, once again, I would suggest it's time perhaps to get some help. We're not often able to work through some of these issues on our own without some help. 
So it's a great time to see a therapist. It's a great time to call on one of our licensed practitioners. It's a great time to talk with a, a friend that has had perhaps some greater experience in this area. If the issue is one of substance abuse, it might be a great time to check out a 12-step program. It is time to do something different this time. Unlikely, if we use that same coping mechanism, we will have a different result. Okay, so in summary, the two ways of dealing with our life as it falls apart that we're learning today, one, emotions equal good. It's actually good to cry your heart out. It's good to be angry. It's good to work out those things as they come up if you need some techniques, let's check it out together. Let's make an appointment and work through some of the issues that we might do using techniques for working out our emotions in a healthy way. The second thing is to really take a look at our defaults. What's that backup position? When life gets us up into a corner, do we withdraw? Do we come out fighting, right? What, what is that sense of what we typically do and then let's see if there might be something more positive that we can replace it with. At the very least, let us take a good hard look at it and ask ourselves, am I really going to get through this any better if I use the substance or if I just put my head in the sand or whatever some of the coping mechanisms are? That may be enough right there to move you in a new direction. I'm gonna close today with a, a bit of homework what emotional healing have you been putting off? Yeah, some of you are going, well, thanks a lot. <laughs> but I think a good place to begin, right? What emotional healing have you been putting off? Do you still have resentments about an ex-spouse? Do you still have an, a boss that you know, treated you badly for many years that you harbor resentments against? Is there family troubles going on? What is in your heart that still needs healing? We know enough that it's okay to express our feelings around it. We know enough now that it's okay not to do some of those old, uh, less than adequate coping mechanisms. Let us begin to look at something that has been unhealed this week. Some of you may want, in fact, to check out Reverend Lynn Johnson's uh, uh, workshop coming up this week on forgiveness. That might be one of the tools that you might use to work out a level of sadness or anger. All right, so what emotional healing have you been putting off? I'm going to close today with a, a final quote uh, reading on this first chapter on getting our emotions out. Here is what uh, Ms. Kingma says. She says, when life is hard, when you're in a crisis, it's absolutely appropriate to cry. Not because you're weak, but because crying actually holds the power of healing. Tears, in fact, are a vehicle for transformation. When you cry, your loss moves through you to an actual point of exit. What was holding you up, what was eating you up, what was stuck inside your body finally can be released and moves outside. Your physical structure is quite literally cleansed and like a blackboard cleaned with a sponge, it's now available to receive the imprint of whatever wants to come next. 
real progress is at hand. That's why when you have cried, in some ways you will be reborn, free to begin again. Let us pray. There is one power, one presence, one life, one love. And what I know about this one thing is it is that ultimate nurturer. It is that one source and supply of all good things. I know that uh, rather than it being some cold and calculating force, it, it's a gentleness, it's a love that is embodied within every person along the lines of self-love and self-care. We have that opportunity to love ourselves, to hold fast to that knowledge of our own worthiness, our own ability to see the truth of who we are, and the ability to move through difficult situations, knowing that that full support of the universe is at hand. And so for the people in this sanctuary today, what I know is that ability to to really know we are supported on all levels, that the divine is here always to nurture, to provide, to support, to love. And so knowing this, there is an easiness with which I begin to approach my emotions with, uh, with more intent, to allow sadness to bring forth tears, to allow anger to be expressed safely in a way that is healing. These are what allow us as humans to move forward. And for each person in this room, I perhaps know a little more willingness to express those emotional needs in healthy and complete ways. And for this, I'm grateful for this session of talking about perhaps some of the harder things in life. I am grateful. And so I release this prayer into the activity and action of the law itself. I let it be. And together we say, and so it is. Thank you for being here today. I'm so glad you're here. We hope you enjoyed today's podcast. If you happen to be in the Portland, Oregon area, we'd love to have you visit in person. The Portland Center for Spiritual Living is located at 6211 Northeast Martin Luther King Jr. Boulevard. We have inspirational services at 9 and 11 a.m. every Sunday. Our mission is to open hearts, ignite minds, and to make a difference. If you'd like to support our center and its podcasts, you can donate online at www.pcsl.us slash donate. Our website is also the place to learn more about what's going on at the center or to contact us. Allow us to become part of your extended community. Wherever you are on your spiritual journey, you are most welcome at the Center for Spiritual Living.